can, let's go into scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is Genesis chapter 48, verses 8 through 20. Genesis chapter 48, verses 8 through 20. And if you have it, if you could please stand for the reading uh, and reverence of God's word. And for those who do not have a Bible, um, if you could look on this uh, on the screen. Let me read it if you can follow along. When Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and on his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who had been my shepherd all of my life long to this day, the angels who had redeemed me from all evil blessed the boys, and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Let's pray. You can be seated. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you've done. I pray, Lord, that as we hear this word, that you will convict our hearts, and that we will see that even in the midst of all the things that are going on in our lives, that even in the midst of all the trials and temptations, all the things that hinder us and block us from you, that, God, you are still working. And so we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Today's sermon title is God is Still Working. You know, there's a story uh, that Elizabeth Elliot wrote in one of her books. Um, she talked about a time when she visited her friends at their farm in northern Wales. Now, once a year, she said, uh, her friends would gather all of their sheep, which were many, uh, and they would go to this huge vat. It would be this huge pot, uh, and in the pot would be filled with this antiseptic, right? Like kind of this uh, cleaning material. And what they would do is that they would dip each one of these sheep into that vat completely from the head to the toes, everything, just dip them in. And Elizabeth asked their friends, why do you do this? And they said, if we don't do this at least once a year, then these sheep would literally get eaten by parasites and insects. Now, she said that this was a really interesting sight to behold because the sheep 
would do everything possible to try to get out of that vat. And so you would hear them shrieking and you would, hear, you would see them trying to get out, but on one side would be a sheepdog barking at them and so they would turn around, go to the other side, and the other side would be a farmer who would put them and then you know, drag them back into the vat and then push them all the way down, all the, their nose, their, their eyes, their ears, everything down under that liquid, submerging them completely. And she said that as she watched all of this unfold, she said, I realized I had many experiences in my life that made me feel very sympathetic to those sheep. A number of times I felt the great shepherd, the Lord, was doing the very same thing to me. He was holding me underneath. I felt I was drowning, and when I asked, I didn't get a word of explanation. There are times when God will allow things to happen in our lives. It may be a time of loneliness. It may be something like heartbreak, or it may be a great loss. And many times, we're not going to understand why. And the thing is, God may never give us the, the reason why he allows things to happen. But for us as Christians, we know one major truth. And it's that even bad things are used for his glory and for our good. You see, this passage is one of the more obscure ones within the life of either Jacob or Joseph. But it explains a really important point that no matter what happens, God is still working. That no matter how bad the situation may look, no matter how upside down it is from your own expectations, that God is still at work within it. And so for this sermon, there's just three things I want to go over. The first is how God works in this world. The second is how God works in our lives. And lastly, is how God has finished the work. Now, how does God work in this world? Verse 14 says this, And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, when you kind of read this, this is kind of an interesting story because Joseph, you see, he wanted his father Jacob to bless his children. We've talked about this a, a while back, but one thing we know back then is that blessing someone was actually a huge deal. Because when you bless someone, it's not just about giving them a majority of your inheritance or a majority of your wealth, but it was blessing someone's futures, future path. It was almost a prediction saying, God, I want you to really put a lot of favor and I want you to do a lot of blessing within this person's life. It was actually a very serious thing. What we know is that Manasseh was the older son. And the older son is the one who gets the main blessing. He would be the one who would be given the, the main amount of wealth and the, uh, the inheritance. And so what Joseph does is he puts Manasseh to the right side of Jacob. 
and he puts his younger son on the left side because back then we know that the right side was the right side of favor, right? And the left side was second best. But all of a sudden, this interesting thing happens where Jacob crosses his hands and he gives the right blessing to Ephraim. You see, Jacob, he gives his main blessing not to the older son, but to the younger son. Everyone would have thought this was strange, and everyone would probably have thought it was a mistake. It went against how the world worked then, and it definitely went against what Joseph expected. It says that Joseph was displeased, and he tells his father even, hey, you messed up. But Jacob, he looks at Joseph and says, no, my son, I know what I'm doing. You see, this story is important because it illustrates how God works in this world. Because in this particular passage, it is right to associate jo Jacob with God and Joseph with us. And just as Jacob went against how the world worked back then, God will go against how the world works now. Because what the world tells us is that those who are first are always going to succeed. Because what the world tells us is that respect and honor should go to those who have the most money. That those who are rich, those who are famous, those who have the most followers are the ones who should be the most influential and they are the ones who we should all adore. However, the Bible says the opposite. Even look at the examples that God gives again and again in the book of Genesis. Hagar is young and ready for children. Sarah is the one who is old and barren. Who does God use? Esau is firstborn and strong. Jacob is younger and weaker. Who does God use? Rachel is fought for for 14 years because she is so beautiful and yet it's through the rejected sister Leah that Jesus is ultimately born. God will work through the weak and the marginalized instead of the strong and the famous. This is the way of how God works and is the complete opposite of the world. He has said again and again that the last will be first in the kingdom of God, that the meek are the ones who will inherit the earth. And it's because of this one reason the more self-sufficient we become, the less God is willing to use us. You know, I've used this illustration a while back, but I think it's very important. Scholars say that one of the main differences in Christianity versus other world religions is that Christianity com constantly changes its center point. What we know about Islam is that it started in Arabia and is still located there. What we know about Buddhism is that it started in the Far East and even to this day, it is still there. And yet with Christianity, throughout the years and years it's existed, throughout the years and years it's been around, it has moved from center to center, from city to city again and again. They say that Christianity started in Jerusalem. They say that again moved to Egypt and then it moved to Rome. And what we know is that it began to shift to America during the Great Awakenings. 
but now they say that the center of Christianity is in Latin America and Africa. The highest concentration of Christians, it keeps moving from place to place to place. And theologians say that the reason why is because when a nation begins to become wealthier and richer, they begin to rely on themselves rather than God. And that is, do you see the opposite of what Christianity is? Because Christianity says that because we are so weak, because we are so powerless, we are able to see how good and how powerful and how mighty God is. That it is good for us to be weak so that we can rely upon the power of God. The more powerful we think we become, the less God will use us. You see, by doing this, God is showing us a very simple truth by moving from place to place, by using the weak, by using the meek. He is doing a very simple, showing us a very simple truth. And it's that we cannot save ourselves. No amount of money or fame or power will ever give us salvation. And is only found when we fully trust in him. God is looking for people who are willing to commit to that. And it's why God continually subverts all of the expectations of the world. And it's why in this passage, Jacob is willing to do the same thing. He goes against the fabric of how the world goes. He goes against the fabric of how, Jacob, of how Joseph thinks. And he crosses his arms and he gives the blessing to the younger son. This is how God works in this world. Now, this passage also shows us how God works in our lives. Verse 17 says this, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it away from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. When we read this, it seems like, right, in the English, that Joseph is just slightly frustrated at his father, right? Slightly kind of displeased. But when you look at it closer, it's actually a lot more than that. Because that word displeased is actually kind of putting it lightly in the English. It's actually a word that you would rarely, if ever, see someone younger used for someone older. It's more a word uh, a father would use for their son who was disobedient and foolish. That father is displeased with his son. And yet, Joseph says that or thinks that about his father. Because Joseph is essentially telling Jacob this. Look, dad, you don't know what you're doing, but I do. You don't know how things should go. You don't know what's right or what's wrong, but I do. And so you should just trust me and uncross your arms. And yet Jacob, it says, looks at Joseph. And it's the way that I imagine a lot of times God looks at me when I say this. And he says, actually, I do know. In this passage, he actually says it twice. I know, my son, I know. 
You see, this is going to be a very big theological point. I think one that who I've talked to deters a lot of seekers from trusting or, or knowing or coming to Christianity. Because Joseph, he represents you and me, and Jacob represents God. And Joseph comes to Jacob with this idea of how life should go. This is how I want my life to go. This is the things that I think are best. This is the girl that I think I should marry. This is my job that I think I should go. This is the college where I should head towards. And he asked God, he asked Jacob, look, I want you to bless in this way. And look, there are times when God will stretch out his hands and absolutely bless you in the way that you ask. And yet, there are also many times when we will come before the Lord, ask him to bless us, and he crosses his arms and he tears up our plans. It's going to hurt and it's going to be the complete opposite of what we think is best. And yet in that moment, God is saying the exact same thing that Jacob says to Joseph. And he says, I know what you need. I know what has to happen. And I know that you think you know what's best, but I know, my son, I know. And the reason why this is so difficult for so many of us is because God is asking for faith. We know about a lot of the different reasons God gives for why we suffer, why we go through temptation, why we go through trials. But the main reason he gives us, and this is the one that we hate the most, and yet it's the one that he says again and again, because it is the only one that will truly sustain us in the long run, is to simply trust in him because he is God. You see, in the life of Job, Job has gone through all of this suffering, and yet at the very end, he gives his main thesis of why Job suffered and the reason for it. And the reason is this. He says, Job, you went through this, and I'm not going to tell you why, because I'm God and you're not. You went through this, and I'm not going to tell you why, because I know what's best for you, even though you may think you do. I know, my son. I know. So just trust in me. This is going to be a struggle for a lot of us. And right now, I am speaking to those who do confess in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Because what I'm trying to say is that even though this theological point is very difficult to grasp, it is essential for you as a Christian to believe. And the reason I say this is because if you don't trust God in everything, in those areas, then you are not going to pray. And if you do not pray, then I would be hard-pressed to say that you have a relationship with God at all. Or, if I can put it another way, the reason you don't pray is because you don't trust God. You see, in the Bible, the disciples ask Jesus how we should pray. And Jesus gives this answer, and it's the answer of the Lord's Prayer, right? And he says in the very beginning, 
Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In the very beginning of that prayer, he starts it. He starts it with that one thing, your will be done. In other words, he's saying, God, you have the right to contradict me. You have the right to do things I don't understand. And no matter what happens in my future, even if you cross your arms and you bless in different areas, or maybe you don't bless at all, and you don't explain why, I am still going to trust you. This is how God works in our lives. And lastly, my third point is that God, he works and he finishes the work. Jacob at the end, he says this beautiful prayer for his grandsons. Verse 15 says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked and the God who has been my shepherd all of my life. You know, Jacob, he understood something. Because Jacob, you see, he had gone through a lot of suffering. He was rejected by his father. He ran in fear of death from his brother. He was betrayed by his uncle. He was tricked by his own sons. He went through so much stuff. And yet, as he looked back on his life, he just says one thing. God has been my shepherd. Jacob, he knew sheep. And he knew that the number one characteristic of sheep was this. They're not very smart. In fact, what we know is that if sheep are left alone, they would just stand there and die. That's why I think when you see, when you go out to the countryside or whatever, there are times you will see wild horses. They can survive on their own. That's, you'll see sometimes wild cattle. They can survive on their own. But I'd be hard-pressed to ever see wild sheep. They just don't really exist. You see, by saying that God was his shepherd, Jacob was saying that he was a sheep. And he was saying that it didn't matter how much suffering he went through, he knew that no matter what, he could not survive apart from God. And he knew that no matter how difficult things were, God was using those times of pain for ultimate good. I think that's such a beautiful connection when you think about that. Because it was only a couple chapters later when Joseph buries his father and he goes before his brother, all of his brothers. He says that really famous line. That though you tried to harm me, I know that God is able to use it for good. And I fully believe that what Jacob did here influenced the way that Joseph thought. And church, what we know is that when it comes to weakness and when it comes to subverting expectations and when it comes to God using the opposite of the world, the best example is Jesus Christ. The best example is our Lord and Savior. Because you see the people, they were expecting a warrior riding a horse. And yet it says that Jesus came to earth. He emptied himself and he took the form of a servant. It says that he became weak so that we could become strong. 
It says that he died a sinner's death so that we could live with him in heaven. What a beautiful story. That's our Savior and that's the gospel. Now, I just want to end here. And it's that the Bible says that true freedom will only come when we trust in God. For many of us, we, we think we know this, and yet we don't realize that we have our trust in so many other things. For a lot of us, we don't realize that we are trusting in our health, that we're trusting in our money, and that we're trusting in our spouses and so many other things. Now, what God is going to do in our lives is he is going to cross his arms in those specific areas in order to bring us freedom. He crosses his arms so that money will no longer have a hold on you. He will cross his arms so that those things that you love will not be put above him. He is going to cross his arms so that all of those other things will not dictate the way that we live our lives. And it's so that we can only depend upon God. He will allow those things to happen. He will cross his arms so that we can finally say those same words, that we are his sheep and that he is our shepherd. And that's the way that we're going to really truly love him forever. Amen? Yeah, let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you have done. And I pray, Lord, that as we move forward, that we would truly believe this, that this would be in the bottom of our hearts. And as we move forward, Lord, that we would be able to call you shepherd above everything else. God, that the understanding of shepherd is not just someone who takes care of the sheep, but the understanding of shepherd is that we are sheep, is that we don't know the future, is that we don't know what's best for us. And that at the end of the day, we trust in your character, we trust in who you are above everything else. And so church, right now, if you could just pray as well, that this would be your story as well, that you would be able to cry out to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to trust in you no matter what. I'm not going to put any other conditions in front of you. I'm going to say, your will be done. God, whether that comes to my future work, whether that comes to my future college, whether that comes to my future spouse, whether it comes to anything else, God, I have certain expectations, but God, I'm still going to trust in you that even if you cross your arms, I'm still going to trust you. Can you really say that, church? Use this time right now to search your heart. Is this your story as well? Is this something that you can really say? Cry out to the Lord. Ask him. Let's pray together.